0: Cool new intro. Hello, welcome to Celebration Church. Wednesday night Bible study. As uh, we go through the uh, Bible, one verse at a time, teaching what it has to say. This is a, We are now, we're in the New Testament. We are as far as the book of Romans. We call them books, they're actually just letters. that uh, They wrote epistles, which is the fancy religious name, but it's just a letter. Uh, we've uh, started in the book of Acts in our launch into the New Testament. And as we're going through the book of Acts... Whenever they would write a letter, in, we'd stop and we'd go to that letter and read it and then we'd come back and next time they write it. So we're actually getting a, a sense of when and where these events took place, who they're talking to, why they're talking to them. Uh, it started out with James. James is actually the first epistle in the New Testament. Uh, and you can really tell because he starts out talking about, he says, James, a servant of God, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He's speaking specifically to Jewish Christians because in the beginning all Christians were Jewish. They didn't even think you could be a Christian if you weren't Jewish Uh, and it took a while for all that to start to change Uh, and then uh, Paul started dealing with this issue about uh, being free from doing the Old Testament law to now walking in the law of grace and he's still kind of debating this back and forth even with the the Romans here uh, when he's writing to them because at this point All these churches are all over the place, and they're still, even though now overwhelmingly we're getting uh, Gentiles, which is what we are. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, one or the other. Uh, And all these Gentiles are coming to faith, Christianity spreading everywhere, but still a lot of Jewish influence uh, was still there. So oftentimes in these earlier epistles, he's still talking to the Jewish element, sometimes very strongly. And as he's writing to the Romans, he would stop. Now, let me talk to the Jews a little bit because he's still, t- still doing this balance. It actually gets easier, uh, some of the later letters, because he quits trying to have that conversation. <laughs> it just makes a lot more sense to us today because some of the stuff that he talks about that really gets confusing sometimes is when he gets into this whole <coughs> debate of Judaism and the Old Testament law. He always talks about the law. It's not talking about speeding tickets and stuff like that, that kind of law. He's talking about the Old Testament law of Moses, all right? So anyway, he's in his third missionary journey. We're to that point. He's now in Corinth after writing those first two letters to the Corinthians. And uh, and then while he's here, he sends this letter to the Roman Christians. Then he's going to continue his journey back over, go to Jerusalem, and he winds up getting arrested, and they drag him all the way back to Rome to stand trial, which is where he eventually dies, all right? So we'll get through all that. Eventually anyway, so we're in the book of the book the letter whatever of Romans uh, We're at uh, chapter 5 Verse 1 and just to remind those of you who are fairly new to Christianity and stuff and by the way We have people who watch us all over the world on this thing and uh, and it's great on Facebook and other medium uh, So people in all kinds of different places in their faith for those who are fairly new to Christianity the uh, Bible, they broke it up into chapters and verses just so that you could find where in here we're talking about. They weren't written in chapters. These, this wasn't a John Grisham novel. You know? <laughs> Chapter 5, you know to get it. Sometimes it actually limits our understanding because we, in our heads, break it up into chapters and we think that they've changed subjects. Oftentimes he doesn't change subjects at all. Uh, whoever it was, I can't remember the guy's name, that came up with a system, uh, picked some pretty odd spots. You got to hand it to him without having computers and stuff. He did all this, you know, on the back of a horse when he's riding from one country, place to another. So pretty impressive. And anyway, we are in chapter five uh, of this letter. He just finished talking about Abraham and how Abraham was justified by faith, and he's now he's talking to these Jewish Christians. A lot of them still really hanging onto the law of Moses, and it's hard for them to get her, their head around. How can we just? Should we not obey those laws? And it's amazing, even to this day, how many Christians struggle with this. Every once in a while, you'll hear Christians popping up, and every once in a while there seems to be a wave of a pullback to Judaism, and they try to go back to these old law, old Testament laws and stuff. No, 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 no. We don't do that. Uh, our emphasis is in the New Testament. Not that you can't learn things from the Old Testament. There's great many things to be learned from the Old Testament. Many, 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 many things to be learned. And it helps us to understand really uh, God today and how, how we got here and all that. So it's so very important. But we don't live by the Old Testament. I know it confuses people sometimes. We live by the New Testament. We are Christians. We're not, I mean, we're Jews by faith that Paul talks about. But we live by the New Testament. Whenever you see Christians getting a little goofy in their head, take it to the bank. They're back here. They're attaching some rule here or something, trying to stick it in somebody's face and causing all kinds of problems. Stay out of there. <laughs> I mean, you can read it, but don't, don't live in that. That's not how we approach life. All right, so. See, so goes this whole thing about Abraham. And Abraham is the father of Judaism. And he's like, wow. He's like the major figure. They're children of Abraham. And they talk about how he was you know, righteous and everything else. But what Paul points out, he does it also in Galatians when he writes his first letter dealing with this problem. uh, That Abraham lived hundreds of years before there was Moses. It wasn't until Moses that he got the Ten Commandments. Before he got any of the do's and don'ts and all the rules and stuff. So he said, if you think... That is, by following all these regulations and these rules and traditions, if that's how you find salvation, then he says, then how do you explain Abraham? Because Abraham was experiencing God hundreds of years before any of that even showed up. And he was justified by faith. So he's trying to point back that all of this, and the fact that there's a consistency in the Christian message of really getting back to what Abraham was about. Because what is really, Moses comes along and he puts all these rules and he's got all his reasons for why all this was done. And it's kind of hard to figure out what he's talking about half the time. But, uh, you know, when Christianity comes back, we we push away that, not to dismiss it, but that it's been fulfilled in Jesus. And now we actually go back to where Abraham was, which is we are justified by faith, not by following all these rules and regulations. Okay, setting all that up. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. And that's a big fancy word. You know, people use that in everyday language. How are you? I'm justified. You know, I mean, nobody talks that way anymore. But it just means everything's made right. Uh, when I was growing up in churches, they, they like to use the way of saying it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified, okay? In other words, God makes everything right. You're a mess. We're all a mess. Jesus comes and he takes the mess and he makes it right. We deserve to go to hell. If you don't have that revelation, you don't get this. (laughs) That's really what we deserve. I want what I deserve. No, you don't want what you deserve, all right? We deserve to go to hell. Jesus comes and he makes that right. We've been justified. Uh, and again, so many times I've explained that Christianity is different than any other religion in the world including Judaism All of these by following these rules and everything else trying to find God and trying to find these disciplines And you've got to learn their systems and your for their prayers and go through their rituals and everything else all trying to find God Christianity starts out exactly different We start out being touched by God Immediately you experience God, stop and think about that We start where everybody else is trying to get and they can't even get there anyway We start by experiencing God, and we're dumb as bricks. You don't know anything. You don't know the Bible. You don't know I mean, you immediately are touched by God. It's called grace. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a wonderful thing. Everybody say amen. Amen. All right. So, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And when he talks about boasting, I mean, he's proclaiming it, he's shouting it everywhere. This should really be the boast of Christianity, of this wonderful grace of God. We're not boasting in ourselves, he says. We're boasting in him. This is great. This is what you want to share with people. You can know God. Really, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what do I got to do? You just got to trust him. I mean, a lot of people have a hard time with that, but that's our boast. But then he goes on and uh, starts talking about the Christian life. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. I got to tell you, not high on my list. I don't like sufferings. I don't like to be inconvenienced. I hate it when they bring me my French fries and they're cold. I mean, I just don't like suffering at all. But the reality is, and it's amazing how many people will try and preach That if you really walk in faith, you'll never suffer. But it's just patently absurd. It's actually against biblical teaching. The reality is, say, Pastor, why am I suffering right now? Because you're supposed to. We're supposed to suffer. Now, good news is we don't have to do it 24-7, never-ending. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. But don't get mad when you go through times of testing. Now, I don't like tests. I've never liked tests. I hated school. It's just a horrible experience <laughs> having to study things I could have cared less about. But they test you nonetheless. You got to know the test. And I hate, and even spiritual tests, I hate. You come through it and you think, praise God, I passed the test. This is it. No. Another one's coming. You don't know when. You're not sure where. But when you're there, it's very clear. Oh. Uh, here we go again. And not to get mad at God and get all freaked out. Now, The thing is, sometimes people aren't really clear about the troubles they're having. Is the trouble a test? Is the trouble, because I'm an idiot, which is most of my troubles, personally, or is the trouble an attack of the devil? Right? Satan comes against us. Sometimes it just makes us miserable. Uh, And really, you, you need to be able to discern the three, and if you don't know how to discern the three, that's when you should go talk to someone who can uh, if nothing else, come to your pastors and talk to us, and we'll try to help you. You don't have to be a pastor. I mean, anybody who's been a mature Christian, like you start sharing your struggles, they pretty much can see. Sometimes you can't see because you, know, you get so close to the tree, you can't tell. You know, is this just the one tree or I'm in the middle of the forest? It's hard to tell. Someone else is easier to see what's going on. So it's good to connect with each other and to pray for each other. But if you're not sure about the troubles you're in, then find out. Ask questions. That's why I always encourage people. Ask questions. When people come to you with troubles, just don't pray for them right away. I'm all for praying for people, but just don't immediate pray. Ask questions so you can find out what's going on. Right? I'll share these, I'll share them until the day I die because they're just stunning. But people come and say, you know, you know, I've had people who say, You know, Pastor, can you pray for us? Because we're really struggling financially. And most people just start praying right away. I ask questions. Why are you struggling financially? And then you find out if it's legit and you gotta like, get that perspective, and then you know how to pray. At a minimum, you know how to pray. But sometimes you see stuff that's just crazy. Well, we're struggling. Why are you struggling? Don't you have a good job? Yeah. Doesn't your husband have a good job? Yeah. Well, what's the problem? Well, we, we do a lot of gambling. <laughs> well, that would be in the moron category, okay? <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. What's well, the devil? It's not the devil. You're an idiot. That's what it is. Stop. Then I can pray for you. Lord, help me not to be an idiot. Turn the lights on because sometimes you just can't tell you're being an idiot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coughing and wheezing and I can barely breathe. And you know, I'm having problems with my lungs. You know why? Because oh, I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. Okay. Probably connection there. How about we pray that you stop? You'd be surprised, man, see, I'd be surprised how many people would get mad on that prayer. Don't pray I stop Satan's smoking. Just pray that my lungs clear up. I'm not making this up. You know, some you think this is this. You know, you. It's crazy. It's, it's the guy that came said, what was about a year ago after church one night. He's. I can see he was all upset. And he said, Pastor, can you pray with me? And I came out I said, What's, what's the problem? He said, we got tears. Through. He says, I, I just struggle with guilt. I just feel so guilty all the time. Of course, right away, everybody starts praying. I don't pray for them. I ask questions first. Always ask questions first. Why? Why do you feel guilty? Well, come on, cough it up. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm living with some lady in her house, and, and I'm having sex with her. Oh, come on, man. I said, you know, just, just marry the girl. He says, well, I can. She's already married. <laughs> well, I don't know. How about you stop it? <laughs> My prayer now changes dramatically. I know how to pray clearly. But, you know, it's easier for me to say this. When you're going through this, you're, you're, you'd be amazed at how much you can't see when, when you're doing this. When you get in front of that tree. We've all been there, right? You think it would be clear. It's easy for me to talk about it now. But when you're there, it's amazing how you can feel and you can't tell where you are. That's why. Don't be afraid to invite people into your life and share your troubles and your struggles so you can see where you're at, so you can know what's going on. Is this a trial? Is, is God testing your faith? Because that's those are the ones that actually are good ones, which he's going to talk about in just a second here. Uh, Or is it, you know, the enemy just come in trying to fill you with doubt and discourage you? Or is it because you're doing something blatantly stupid that you're not aware that you're doing? You got to check with people. So anyway, we glory also in our sufferings. These are some of the tests that we go through. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. How is that? Because when you're suffering, you realize you have two options. Give up or keep going. Those are your two options until you get an answer. Give up or keep going. If you have any amount of sense at all, you realize the only true option is to keep going. Although you'd be surprised how many people want to give up. And they have all sorts of versions of what that means to them. So no, 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 no. You don't give up. You keep going. So our sufferings actually create in us perseverance. This attitude of I'm going to keep going. Stubbornness, a stubborn determination to do the right thing, the stubborn de- determination to follow God no matter what happens. No matter what it costs me, no matter who it separates me from or who it associates me with, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to do the right thing. I'm serving Christ in my life and that's what happens when you go through times of suffering. It forces you to answer the question. All right, cupcake, your little snowflake. Are you going to give up or are you going to keep going? Right? And hopefully it makes you realize, I need to keep going. And it delivers perseverance. And perseverance creates character in us. Character, okay? You can't buy it. You just got to be built in you, you know. (laughs) And what delivers, bless you, (laughs) what delivers all of the character in us as we mature is the result of difficulties in our lives. Some of the most mature people that you will meet that have just such solid character in them if you talk to them, you'll find out it's because they have suffered a great deal. And it is what it is. Say, oh Lord, I want to be a strong Christian. Okay, hang on, cupcake. Because that means we're going through, you know, get on the crazy train. Woo! Here we go. Because it actually will make, build character in you. God is doing these things on purpose. It's not that he hates you. He doesn't hate you. He's trying to build character in you. Uh, And... Then he says character brings hope. Now, when it says hope, uh, you know, words change over time. And and hope in the English language really means more like wish. You know, are you going to have a good day? I hope so. Okay, that's actually not the definition of hope. Even in the English language, if you look it up, uh, it's just always misused. At some point, they'll come up with a redefinition meaning wishing for something good to happen, okay? Because that's what most people mean when they say hope. That's not what that word means. You look up Webster. Hope means an absolute assurance that what you want is going to happen. So when you're filled with hope, you are filled with an absolute assurance that what you want is going to happen. That's what biblical hope means, and it's literally in the English language what the word hope means, but we've changed it today because hope has become more like a wish. You know, I hope so, that kind of thing. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about as a result of this thing you're going through that gives you that focus and that perseverance and builds character. At the end, it fills you with an absolute assurance that what you want is going to happen, even though you can't see it yet. Okay? It's a wonderful thing, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then he says this, uh, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. This is the Christian message. Now, this whole thing here is when he really starts getting into just very clear explanation of the Christian experience and our theology. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Nobody wants to die for anybody, right? But sometimes, oh, if he's a really righteous person, I'll lay down my life for that person. Though, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. I guess that's possible, he says. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Stop and think of the love of that thing, okay? It wasn't, oh, man, y'all are so wonderful and so great. Jesus is going to die just be... No, he laid down his life for us when we were a mess, Mankind completely lost without hope, and then Christ dies for us. It is the pure picture of love. God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Praise God for that, okay? Um, Now, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Uh, the way he writes and talks and sometimes, goes, you know, but uh, in a nutshell, I mean, this, this is what I got out of this. He's basically saying, okay, if when we were God's enemies and you say, well, I was an enemy of God. Well, really we were, you know, we, see, we, do, we don't. One of the most important things in understanding Christian theology and really understanding God is what a mess we are without God in our lives. We are lost. He said all have sinned, fallen short of the glory. Remember he had the big pot of the most wicked stuff? He says we're all in that pot. Everybody's in that pot. Well I never did those bad things. Well if you did one, you're all in that pot. Sin is so antithetical to God. It's so opposite of God. It's so insulting to God. We don't recognize it because we don't recognize it. It's like you know, before there was deodorant. <laughs> Your know, deodorant's a fairly new thing, isn't it? When we grew up, I mean, we grew up in our age, it was kind of a new thing as we were teenagers, kind of about that's what deodorant like. It used to be, people didn't have deodorant, just everybody stunk. <laughs> they did. In fact, it used to be hilarious because whenever you go to a third world country, nobody has deodorant. And you should see what that bus smells like. Uh, but nobody nobody's bothered by it do you know why everybody's comfortable with their smell everybody's used to the smell as we as americans it's quite a shocker you know and you hug some of these people in these churches and you <laughs> i mean holy cow nasty stuff and now you have no idea in fact people often today wonder you know because everybody knows how bad cigarettes and stuff say man why do people get smoking cigarettes? cigarette you have no idea Everything smelled so bad that people smoking cleared the air. (laughs) That's why they smoked. I mean, you're smoking. Oh, man, thank God for that, you know. Because up at this point, everybody's riding around horses. They're all, you know, that's horse smell all over them. And whoops, I shouldn't have stepped in that, you know. They come to these meetings. And and you, (laughs) I love watching these uh, period movies where all these people are doing these waltzes, you know. You can imagine what that place smelled like for all these people sweating like pigs and nobody has deodorant. Holy cow, somebody light up a cigar. All right? So, but people weren't appalled by it because they were comfortable with the smell. That's kind of what it is for us in sin. We don't smell how much we reek. You know, because, well, everybody's kind of like, it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's why it's so important. That's why Christ did what no one else could do. Our only hope for salvation was his redemption. And it's his redemption that turns us from enemies of God into friends of God. Because without it, living in sin, we are basically enemies of God. Now, you say that to a secular world. You know, you can't even use some of these phrases because they don't understand it. To them, we're all children of God. You know, well, in a sense, God created us so we're children of God. But Jesus actually said, you're all children of the devil. Right? And we're children of God. No, you're not. You're children of the devil. Whatever your daddy tells you, you do it. Your daddy says, hate somebody, you hate somebody. Your daddy says, punch somebody, you punch him in the face. You know, all of a sudden, you see in the world all the crazy stuff going on. These people are just doing what their father, the devil, tells them to do. They're just not aware that that's what's going on. When you get saved and you disconnect from that and connect to the new reality of God truly now being your father... That seems very odd and strange to us. Okay, so anyway, he says, since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved uh, through him? If we were, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, here's an interesting thing, because a lot of people, and I know a lot of Christians struggle with this. You know, it's like when you first come to Jesus, that's easy, that you get. Okay, God loves me. We pray, we ask God, but then you start living your Christian life, and you mess up. Right? Anybody do that? I've I've heard people do that. Right? Then you start feeling really bad. Now we feel really bad, right? It's like, I didn't feel so bad before, because I didn't know anything. Now, I feel terrible, because I'm not a very good Christian. And then you start feeling worse, and worse, and worse, and it's almost like you're going around, and you think God's mad at you all the time. What are you saying, man? if, If through his blood, uh, Da, 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 da. if we were enemies we were reconciled through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life there's more to this we are now a part of the kingdom of God God doesn't hate you he doesn't it's hard to reckon because we would hate us sometimes we do hate us when well, we know what we're supposed to be and how we're struggling and stuff you start feeling really bad you have to understand man he reached out to you and touched you when you were absolutely without hope and a disaster. Now that you are a born again child of God. Do you think it's more limited now? Now how much more now? Will you experience the life of God? Okay. Even though you struggle. Even though you struggle. I was with James Robeson last night. You guys know who he is? James and Betty Rosen. They the a Life Today show. And stuff like that. And he's talking. He says, you know. I've, there's times in my life I've really missed it. I, I went to the plate and I just struck out. Everybody does it. Everybody's done it. He said, but you know, I've, I, never, I never felt like God ever said to me, I'm disappointed in you. You know, even though I was walking back to the dugout of life, waiting for my next turn at the bat, it was like he's always saying, I still believe in you. You're still part of this team. You're still part of the family, okay? Now, does that mean we should just live carelessly? And Paul starts having these arguments in, the mit- in a minute. Does that mean we should just keep sinning? No, it's, it just means that don't lose hope because once you're part of the family, you're part of the family, okay? And everybody who has family knows there's family members, you, you, you want to strangle them, okay? But they're still part of the family, right? You still invite them. At, and sometimes you wonder why do we keep inviting these people? <laughs> they tick you off every time you meet them, right? They irritate you. Let's not invite Uncle Fred this year. We got his family. Oh man, you know, here comes Fred, he's obnoxious. Hey, everybody! You know He's family, right? All right. So, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled. You know what that means? That means like if you two aren't getting along and you're fighting and then we come and we make peace and now you've been reconciled and you're friends again, okay? In a sense, we were, like he used the analogy of an enemy of God, we've now been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. say how is that even possible I didn't do anything yet that's the point that's the power of grace you're immediately reconciled to God therefore just as sin entered the world through one man anybody know who that was Adam Adam. and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. again this is foundational Christian theology that he's talking about here in this first part of Romans that we've all sinned. we've all fallen short of the glory of God Nobody gets this right. Nobody, not even close. We've all sinned and as a result, death reigns in us. God warned Adam, said if you disobey this one rule, uh, you will die. And, uh, and sure enough, not only did he die that day spiritually, but eventually all human beings die. God never intended us nothing. We were never created for death. This is all a weird aberration, which will at some point come to an end, I think much sooner than anybody realizes. But uh, then this stops. God never created life to end in death. It doesn't even make sense. It's inconsistent with God's creation. The reason why there's death is because of sin. Physical death, but not just physical death, spiritual death, which is the worst kind of death. It results us in being separated from God for eternity. You say, what's that mean like? What's that look like? I don't know. You know, I was with some of these guys, you know, down in Dallas last night, and these hoity-toity Bible teachers or and me, you know. And they're just going, well, what does hell really, is it really fire, or is it really this? I says, guys, who cares? It sounds bad to me. I don't want to go. I don't care if it's being locked in a room for eternity listening to Hillary Clinton speeches. I don't <laughs> Okay, all right, that's a little early. Too soon, right? Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm a bad man. Bad man, bad man, bad man, all right? I, I don't, seriously, I don't care if you're just locked in a room watching the same episode of The Twilight Zone for eternity, if that's all it is. I don't wanna do that! They're all debating about uh, why does it really Who cares? It sounds bad! Hell! I went out. All right. So anyway, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. Now it gets just back to the law again. And this all kind of gets a bit convoluted and hard to understand. He says, sin was in the world before the law was given. See, we don't ask those questions because we don't care. None of us care about the Old Testament law. Why does it keep talking about it? Because a big chunk of their congregation was still Jewish. And they're still wrestling with it. And you don't understand how much this messes with them. They're really struggling with this. It would be like telling an American, you're not an American anymore. And you, and you, don't have, you just tear up the Constitution. That would be really hard for us. Don't work with that. This is where Americans are. When these people were talking about the law, they're not only talking about their spiritual identity. It's their national identity. It is a big, stinking deal. And they're really messing with their heads, this whole idea of I can serve God now and stuff, and I don't have to obey all these old laws. But they, these laws define them. This is what made life, and without that, how could you function? And, you know, so it was, it was a mess. So he said, look, sin was in the world before the law was given. As soon as Adam sinned, sin came into the world, and death came with all that sin. And then this phrase sounds confusing. But sin is not charged against anyone's account. Where there is no law. At first thing, you say, well, why do you have the law? And then nobody has an account building. On that. But what he's talking about is, on a personal level, no one was given account uh, for sins that should be punished. For example, in the Old Testament law, it was very strict. If you didn't do certain things, the hammer came down. Everything from, well, the most extreme one was death. You know, so none of that was really of counter to anybody individually. No one has had that individual of, because uh, until the law came, then you could actually see whether or not I personally am following this. Okay, and as a result of that, sin now becomes evident to me because I'm failing, I didn't do this, I worked on the Sabbath, I shouldn't have, you know, I, you know, whatever the deal is, uh, is what he's talking about. But he says, look, it's, sin existed before all that. This just really amplifies sin at this point because now you can really see specifically where we were messing up. Nevertheless, death reigned from, t- from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. In other words, up to this point, up to Moses, everybody became very conscious of their sins because they could see the laws that they broke, the rules that they broke. Adam also was very conscious of sin because of the rule he broke, which wasn't the law of Moses, it was just don't eat of the one tree. How complicated is this? You can't just leave the one tree alone, all right? Now, nobody knows how long Adam walked around in the garden before before they ate of the tree, knowing most people about 45 minutes, okay? (laughs) I think it was extremely soon. And let me tell you why I think it was extremely soon. Because it wasn't until after that that they finally got around to having sex. I would think that would be at the top of my list. All right? Whoa, look at this! Woo! Before they even got to that, they're in with a stupid tree. So maybe a half hour. All right, I don't know, but it didn't take long. So he broke the rule, and then all the people in Judaism now understand, because of all the rules... And what Paul's saying, okay, he broke the rule, you guys understand the rules, but in the middle, it's not like there wasn't sin. Sin was brought into the world through Adam, all of mankind has sinned, and death has ruled the world apart from their knowledge of what exactly is or is not expected by them from God. All right? All right. Now the gift, talking about the gift of salvation, is not like the trespass, which is the sin. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? That's the pattern he mentioned about the idea of Adam, sin coming in the world through Adam is the pattern. He's not going to tell us the pattern because through one man came death, through one man came life. The symmetry is actually beautiful here when you stop and think about it. He says, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many sins, he's saying, and brought justification. So what he's really saying is, yeah, just the one brought sin. But Jesus came and gave in the face of everybody's sins. That's how much greater the grace of God is, the gift of God, uh, over the original trespass or sin." For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, which is what happened. It's hard to comprehend, but because of that one man's act, and we all being children of that one man, death has reigned in the earth. And if anybody doubts that, just turn on your TV. Death is everywhere. Oftentimes people say, well, if there's a God, why are there so many terrible things in the earth? God has nothing to do with that. The reason all of that exists is because of us telling God to stick it, turning our back on God. We don't need God. We can do it on ourselves. Yeah, we can handle it. Yeah, how's that working out? Not very good. The absurdity, the audacity of stupidity to look at the horrible stuff in the world and blame God for it is just incredible, which is the devil, right? The devil comes in. He punches you in the face and then comes to your other side and say, why did God let that happen? He didn't let that happen. The devil punched you in the face. All right? Anyway. So if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass, which is the fancy word, sin, you know, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. What was that act? Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. This is the fundamental foundation of the Christian theology. Through one man, death came into the world and has poisoned the world. Through one man, Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Righteousness has come to people. To all who will trust him and put their faith in him. That's the beautiful symmetry. The one messed it up. The one said it right. Okay. Um, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. The wording there sounds weird. But it's about the, when you start really seeing clearly the right and wrongs and all the stuff. Well then you just become even more aware. It's not... Sin in a general sense, it's all kinds of sins now because of stuff we owe. shouldn't have done that, we shouldn't have done that, and all that, okay. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he continues writing, chapter six, remember there are no chapters. He didn't stop. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? (laughs) Because he said, because of all this sin, all this grace came. Well, praise the Lord. Let's go sin some more so we have some more grace. Now, you think nobody would be that stupid, but just look at yourself in the mirror. We're all that stupid. People think the craziest things and try to justify bad behavior whenever they have the opportunity. So I thought, well, man, if God is glorified in our sins, man, let's just go sin like crazy and really praise the Lord. He said, well, that's absurd. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, he's about to talk about, so, so, so far he's talked about Christ coming. Well, well he starts at the beginning saying, we're all a bunch of lousy, wretched sinners. <laughs> That's really the early, right? Okay, we're all in this big pot of despicables, if you will. <laughs> we are but nasty, deplorables. You know, we're the, the, the ultimate nasty. We're all sinners, doomed without hope. Then he says, "So in that state, when we are at our worst, Christ shows up and makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God and be justified and straightened out, despite all of our sins." All right. Now he's going to start talking about what, in essence, happens. In the Christian conversion experience. And he's going to be using the word death a lot. Uh, and I, I preached this some months ago. But this is so key. I, I even had a little post on Facebook today about it. But the reality is. You know so many people. Even Christian churches. They seem. You know, This is going to sound really insensitive. But I am really insensitive. But it's so much of people in the church. It seems like they have, the church has all these programs—not just our, all churches. All these programs that help people deal with their pasts. We got this program to help you deal with your past, and this program to help you deal with it. And you don't still have to take the program twenty-five times, and it'll eventually help you with your past. And you got all these emotional awes and all this, and and we got all these things, and we got all are you know, the, the big awy hospital of the world. All right. And if that's what it takes, praise be to God. It does disturb me, as I've said before. I think at some point, listen, we got whatever it takes to help you. I'm all for it. But the truth of the matter is, we don't heal our wounds. Okay, not really. Our sins, our faults, all the things that happen to us, we don't heal our past. I should say, we kill it. We kill it. Mm, dead. And when he, and he's going to go on a little bit here. When you start to really comprehend this, that what happened to me before I met Christ is dead and gone. When you start to realize it no longer has hold on you, that's when you start to walk in freedom. If you think I still need all kinds of help because back before I knew Christ, you know, I had this bad thing happened to me and that bad thing happened to me and you know, all these horrible things and we need to connect with our past and try to get healing and counseling. And all this. Okay, whatever it takes. I'm just saying you're going to see here what he's talking about. The true thing that's supposed to be happening is we get set free from that because that's dead. Once it's dead, it's dead. I promise you when you die, you're not going to care that you had zits when you were 12. Once you die, you're not going to care that you had problems. Seriously, when you're dead, dead, you're just not going to worry about stuff anymore. Well, what he's trying to say, and he's going to tell us here, you've got to think in terms of being dead. The thing that separates us from our old life is death. The old part is gone. And if you don't get that, then we've got to plug into the programs, you know. And we, No, I do. I, look, and I'm not slamming them. I'm just saying, look, whatever it takes. That's what we got. Some great programs, you know, that help you deal with it. I'm just saying, it's still not. At some point, even if you go through the programs and start feeling better about yourself, you're not going to truly walk as a victorious Christian until you realize that your old life is dead. It is dead and gone. I promise you. The joy that I walk in today is because I have absolutely no connection in my mind or heart in any way, shape, or form of what happened to me before I was a Christian. I mean, it's, you know, some people get it. Other than others I don't know. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but that I got. That I got. I, I, don't, I actually have to stop and think about the nasty stuff that happened to me whenever I try and preach and encourage people. And then I start getting depressed thinking about, oh, whoa, that did happen to me. That was awful. You know, no wonder everybody feels so bad. At some point, you've got to just... Let, I'm not going to sing. Let it go. All right? So, fundamentally... Uh, Don't you realize that we who have died to sin cannot live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The whole experience of baptism is you're buried and now you come out of that water and you have a new life. The other part of you is now Totally and completely dead. Dead, 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 dead. And if you really get, I'm telling you, it'll set you free. If you don't get it, you will still struggle greatly. And it's just a reality. And you say, well, Pastor, what about the mistakes and stuff that happened to me uh, since I became a Christian? Man, by faith, you take that and you throw it back in the old part. It's washing the blood of the Lamb. I turn away from my sins. Even the sins that I did yesterday, as soon as I confess it to God and he washes it away, that all goes on the dead guy. Dead Mark. He was just an awful person. He was just a terrible human being. All my sins, when I, I confess it to Jesus, I bring it to the cross, and that all goes back by faith to the dead guy. I'm a new person in Christ. We are therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And it's true. When you're dead... You don't get mad. When you're dead, you're never impatient. You're dead. Dead people are very nice people to be around. You do that for a living. You can poke them. They never hit you back, right? They're, just, they're gone. They're gone. This is true for us. If we start to realize, if what, once you're dead, you are free from all that icky stuff. He's trying to get you to understand that as Christians, if we really get this in us, we realize we don't have to die physically to get free. We're free now because we identify with the death that is in Christ. And then he rose again. So we have been crucified with Christ. We've now been resurrected with Christ. We are now walking in new life, much like if we had already physically died. All right. All right, keep going. It's all heavy stuff here. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, this is the key. You want to live a victorious Christian life? This verse, right here, verse 11. Romans 6 11. in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have, uh, the King James says, reckon. Reckon yourselves dead. You did? I reckon so. Okay? I reckon myself dead. I am am telling you in my mind, it is gone. It is past. We now live in a new life. Therefore, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And he encourages them now. This is how you do it. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. See, we still have the potential to do all the nasty stuff we did before. Isn't that lovely? Even though we're new and we're right Christ, we still have the potential to do all the mean, selfish, rotten, sinful stuff we did before. That still is within us, sad as it may be. When we actually physically die, then at least that goes away forever. But he said, the way you deal with it, don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Somebody say amen. Amen. Sin shall no longer be your master. Now sometimes people say, "Pastor, it is. I'm still trapped in sin. Because you're letting it be your master. You keep yielding yourself to these things. Don't offer your body, any part of your heart, mind, and body to be an instrument of sin. If you do, you'll get sucked right back into it. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Don't offer. And listen. If you stop and think about it. Before, I mean, I don't know you. I mean, I was a bad person. I was really bad. I was just a teenager, and I was so bad. But if you look at people who are really caught up in sin, they work at it. They work at it. They they party intentionally. They shove stuff down their throat that normally you'd vomit up, but they just keep shoving it in. Or take drugs. Or do all kinds of stuff, grabbing the things they shouldn't be grabbing, right? All of a sudden, they intentionally do this. They, uh, the effort and energy that some of you used to put towards sin is really rather impressive. <laughs> I mean, they work at it, just caught up in it, celebrating it. Ooh, what Paul's saying, man, don't offer that energy anymore to sin. Offer that energy now to God. I want to intentionally serve God. Now I'm going to intentionally do the right thing. That's why you're here. Praise God. You come to church. Why? Because you want to be intentional about your faith. You want to grow in your faith. This happens on purpose. It doesn't happen accidentally. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Paul says, no. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? He's back to this thing of what you do with this. What you do with this shell is what will get you in trouble. If you offer this shell to God, you become a slave and a servant of God. If you offer it to sin, you'll fall right back into the slavery of sin. Uh, Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves now to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. In other words, you guys—it's the only way you can understand this. Uh, and what's really funny about that is it's hard for us to understand because we don't have slaves today. But he says, "Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness, which is what people did—they really worked hard at this. Some of us were really good sinners, very dedicated. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Do the opposite." What you did before, do no longer. Paul says this over and over again. If you used to steal, don't steal anymore. Right? If you lose the lie, tell the truth now. Be intentional about it. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? And so what point was it? Well, how good was it? How'd that work for you is what he's saying. When you're doing all this energy and you're mad at everybody and cussing everybody out, a bunch of people in the face and getting high and partying. How'd that work out for you, boys? Ladies, it always brought death, emptiness. Those things result in death, he says. But now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. And this is the quintessential gospel message. Romans 6:23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a handful of verses every Christian should know by heart. That's one of them. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's what happens when you see, I mean, just like you earn wages, you get paid. Sin generates wages. And the wages is death. It's not like when you do these things, your life turns out well. I've often wondered what people are thinking, because you look at them, they do all kinds of things. They lie, they cheat, they steal... You know, adultery. I've never understood the adult. You do the, I mean, I get the temptation and stuff like that. By God's grace, I haven't gone down that toilet, but you know, you get sucked into these worlds. But I mean, it's not like people who do this, you look at the boy, it really worked out well for them. Usually, always just ends in death. It's always, it's, it's awful. It's icky. You know, everything's broken and the kids are devastated and all this other. I mean, you go down this path. They're not good paths. It's not like your life is benefited and enriched by getting drunk out of your ever loving mind. Then they celebrate it. You know, we used to celebrate it, right? You get plastered. You wake up the next morning. Your eyes look like roadmaps. You can't remember a thing, and you go, wow. I must have had a great time last night. You know? <laughs> so bizarre. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, hallelujah, is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Notice the first one is wages. You earn it, but the next one is the gift. You can't earn it. Never think that you can earn God's favor or, or, or just earn your salvation because you're doing good things. We do good things because we've been called to do good things because of who lives inside of us now, all right? Now, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking now to those who know the law. And I always groan when he does this. <laughs> These are the parts of the hardest to understand. Don't you know that those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, he's released from the law that binds him to her, or her to him. So if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's now called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law, and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So now this is complicated. A lot of people have been down this thing. Well, Pastor, what do you do? It's called forgiveness. You ask God to forgive you, and you said it right. Somebody say amen. All right, but just because there's forgiveness, I doesn't mean you should keep doing it. Somebody say amen. amen. I do this all the time. Should you kill people? No. Will God forgive you if you kill somebody? Yes. Well, good that I can kill people. No. Pastor, should I just divorce my wife because I can't stand or marry some other hot chick? No. Well, if I do that, will God forgive me? Yes. Well, then I can do it. No! I it confuses people. You know, grace and, and, and rules, It seem like to be at war with each other, but they're not. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus was very strong about what was right and wrong, but look what happened when he encountered people who did wrong. He loved them. He forgave them. Woman caught in the very act of adultery. They're coming out to stone her to death. He said, the "Law of Moses. Remember the law here. He talking with the law of Moses. The law of Moses just says we should stone her. What, what do you say, Jesus?" And this woman's just freaking out. She's crying. She's humiliated. Jesus, said, well, whoever doesn't have sin, cast the first stone. <laughs> Holy cow! They're all there, mad as hornets, ready to throw rocks. Yo, man, you know, and they they walked away. And Jesus looked at the lady and said, where are all your accusers? She said, they're all gone. He said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Pulls her back to grace. Okay, she did something really bad. He forgave her and said, don't do it again. That's, that's the thing grace is never permission that's what he says shall we, shall we sin because we're under grace he says here in a, verse 15 no yeah. well God will forgive me well yeah but that's, you don't, that's not, if you are trying to use grace to justify well I'll do something nasty because God has to forgive me later you're in a bad place that's a bad place to be don't ever think in those kind of terms you don't want to treat the grace of God as something cheap Nonetheless, if you do sin and you repent, God will forgive you. You know. People struggle with this. I mean, it's you know, somebody sins and then and then they get right and we still want to be mad at them because they shouldn't have done what they did. You know. You know what I'm saying? And a guy cheated on his wife. He shouldn't have. Well, I guess to come to church with his hot new wife. That's not fair. Trust me, he has lots of grief that he's going to deal with as a result of that choice. Okay? we got little things. You know, that guy hurt me. i got to forgive him because, now he, because he said he's sorry. Why should? I? Yeah, you've got to forgive him. And You think your little boo-boo is such a big deal? Stop thinking about the first, first, first century church. Do you know? Do you know these people? They were oftentimes put in situations where they were threatened. Their family would be killed if they didn't deny Christ. And some people denied Christ. And others stayed firm. And saw their children slaughtered before their eyes. Later, some of those first people wanted to go back to church. And now they're in church with their kids. Your kids aren't here anymore. Because you refused to deny Jesus. Wow. How do you go hug that family? Right? But they did. They did because they knew that's what you had to do. Well, then I'm just going to deny Jesus next time. No, 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 no. It's not how this works. I know this whole grace and forgiveness and sin thing gets really complicated. The reality is is you want to do the right thing. And when we come back next week, we're going to talk about the struggle that people have within them. And Paul talks about the struggle to want to do good, but you do bad. And I don't want to do bad, but you do it anyway. And all that. so he, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that because he's about to jump into that big time here. But you just have to understand of, of the whole thing about grace. Grace is not permission to keep doing the wrong thing, but thank God that through grace we can be forgiven for the wrong that we do. And that's why we always got to forgive others because Jesus said, listen, if you don't forgive other people, God won't forgive you. Well, I don't know about you, but I need all the forgiveness I can get. And I can't even mess with that one. So no matter how mean and hurtful someone is to me, I have to forgive them. Indeed, I want to forgive them because I want to make sure that I keep God's forgiveness flowing into my life. All these forces that seem so contrary that Paul's writing about. uh, In Christ, it's not contrary. Somehow, it all works. And it's really rather stunning, isn't it? It's fabulous. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the kindness of your grace in our lives. We thank you that through Christ we have been reconciled to God, that we have been justified. Things have been set right with us. And Lord, we need to now intentionally yield ourselves to members of, the members of our body, our whole being, to doing what's right and not to what's wrong. But we celebrate, Lord, that even though when we do wrong, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins. Help us always to be grateful your grace and kindness in our lives, never to abuse that grace, never to go sinning thinking it won't matter because God's got to forgive me later. Uh, help us never to think of those kind of terms. But help us, Lord, to understand grace and when other people make mistakes and other people hurt us and other people sin against us, help us to remember grace. Help us to always remember this thing called grace that covers our sins, covers our shortcomings, and brings us healing. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And Everybody said. Amen. All right, See you Sunday and next Wednesday night. Oh Wednesday. Good, I get the week off. Ha <laughs> ha! I won't see you next Wednesday. Praise the Lord. All right. Thanksgiving.